This podcast is brought to you by the new Blessings of the Faith series from PNR Publishing. Visit prpbooks.com and hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman. I'm a professor at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. Here as always with my friend, uh, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Good to be with you again, Todd. Good to be with you, Carl. Good to see you, um, even though it's uh, electronically through a screen. Just to get to see your face is always a, uh, a gift. Brightens my day. You know, a lot of people say that. I will say that. I'm how beginning they not? to think that. <laughs> How's the Ford Prius working out for you, by the way? <laughs> well, first of all, Ford does not make a Prius. Oh, does it not? No, no. That is, um, I think it's Toyota that oh, makes the sorry. Prius. You're right. Correct. Yes. Yes. And and um, I I really try to stick with things that uh, expand my carbon footprint. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for um, like carbon jackboots or something, just something really significant. Um, so I would never drive a, a Prius. That's a hallmark of you non-progressive PCA I, types, I guess. It, it, exactly. Um, I, I run the air conditioner in my house at like 50 degrees and I keep all the windows open. So that's just how <laughs> I roll. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. What did you think of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's mm-hmm. dress the mm-hmm. other night and lack of mask at yes. the, uh, the elite ball she was at? Yes, at the... Um, uh, the, the the gala there in uh, in New York, yeah, it was it was interesting because uh, as as one of the guests that we have with us today uh, mentioned uh, off air just a moment ago, she kind of looked like a, a Chick Fil A bag, but you know that white designer dress with the the tax the rich in red um, printed across the uh, the back. Of course, this is you know there's a gathering for. Um, elites, uh, political, entertainment industry, uh, the rich elites. It's a party. It's a it's an annual gala for the rich. Thirty thousand dollars a plate. And uh, they were all there uh, conspicuously unmasked uh, versus uh, what our what our children at school have to face. Uh, But, yeah, seem to be having a, a, a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suggest that, uh, I mean, if I had been there, I would have maybe had a, a, a white suit with, um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the words taxation is theft, uh, printed across the back or something like that. But, well, I'm still wrestling with the fact that I'm not a citizen of the United States, but I have right. to pay tax. I am Mr. Taxation without representation. <laughs> See, Carl, you say that, but you get plenty of, of representation. No, you, you know, you can't vote, but is that really a loss? <laughs> You know, considering the people that we that we give you options to vote, not for. not not in the current climate. No, right, I'm, I, right. I must admit the last uh, eight years, it has saved me from all kinds of moral dilemmas. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like you're sitting at home going, "Oh, I wish I was a citizen for this election." How could you know? I mean, you're just pining to vote yes, for because your your votes. heads of state are so much less embarrassing than the Queen. <laughs> of course. 
I, I, I would take the queen. Yeah, I, I would. I, yes. I would. Take hey, you can come back. You'll be on our terms, man. But, but we'll take you back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I've been to Scotland. I haven't been to England. I don't know if I want to go to England. I don't know if we want you visiting. Well, well don't they I, just boil all the foods there, or do they like do any? Yeah, of the that is there, Scotland. That is Scotland. Is any of the food ever kissed by fire, or is it just boiled? <laughs> no, no ice in the water either. But anyway, we must that. get on with some serious. <laughs> we should. Stuff. We should. Uh, today, we we have the. I think this might be the first time ever on Mortification Spin. We actually have two guests, both from the Only Pure Church. <laughs> Todd, you. PCA weenies are at number three to one today. Hey, we're working on it. We're yeah. working on it, but I, I get it. Well, I want to introduce uh, two uh, individuals who are probably well known to many of our listeners. Uh, both of them friends of mine and colleagues in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. First is Camden Busey. Uh, Camden is uh, a minister at Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in, in Grays Lake, Illinois, but he's perhaps uh, better known to many people as the executive director of Reformed Forum, which is a far more serious and substantial intellectual uh, uh, endeavor than anything you'll ever get in the next 30 minutes from us guys. So, Camden, great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I don't know if you've seen our uh, my interview with Lane Tipton where we eat uh, hot chicken wings. So I don't know if I we're saw that we're a lot more serious than you, but <laughs> even picking an AOC real quick. I know you need to get to my colleague, but uh, well, well, Carl and I were going to do Carl and I were going to do like a haggis eating contest or something. I think that could work, but stick with chicken because if AOC yeah. is to Chick Fil A, if mm. you wear a white suit to the next Met Gala, I think Todd, you are to Colonel Sanders, and I think it would I like work it. Well. I like it. Yes, I should always think of you as Colonel Sanders now, Todd. Sort of finger <laughs> finger licking good, as they would say. <laughs> well, the other guest is uh, Camden's uh, regular companion in arms, uh, Jim Cassidy. Jim also is a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He's pastor of South Austin Presbyterian Church, congregation of the OPC uh, in Austin, Texas. That well-known. Uh, bastion of conservative culture uh, keeping austin weird i presume jim i'm doing my best down here it's working <laughs> and uh jim's married to eve so his uh, uh details tell me here and they have three children how old are your kids jim so they are oh boy let's see 18 17 and going on 32 uh that's my 13 year old yeah Oh, oh yeah, well there you course, go. That's very easy, very easy age. Yeah, you you're entering the uh, the locust years, I would suggest, as far as kids go. These are tough times. <laughs> they so are. Like to improve and uh, expand his carbon footprint through his progeny. <laughs> That's the true reformed conservative. Exactly. Hey, true. church growth, church growth. Mm -hmm. So, well, great to have you guys on. And the the primary reason uh, we brought you on today is we want you to talk about the. The conference that's coming up, not in uh, Texas, but in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, at Mission Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, later this year. It's the Bold North Conference on Reformed Theology, November the 5th to the 6th, 2021. If you visit the Alliance website, you will get the details there. And the title is Covenant Theology and the Promised Messiah. Now, guys, many of our listeners, maybe all of our listeners will be familiar with the, 
the terminology of covenant theology, but perhaps you'd like to remind us of why is covenant theology so important and what does it bring to the table that's so distinctive for Protestant, evangelical, and reformed people? Hmm. I guess I'll, I'll start, Jim. I'd certainly cut in if you'd like. I, I, you know, this is a subject that should be near and dear to all of our hearts, but it's certainly near and dear to my heart. I grew up in the mainline Presbyterian church and, you know, a conservative one and had certain reformed instincts, but it wasn't until I was kind of thrown into the, the fires of evangelicalism in college that you really start to experience a whole host of other approaches to scripture. And uh, one of those uh, big kind of uh, conflict points among evangelicals can often be how Israel relates to the church, for example, and uh, how the Bible is structured. Is it, you know, what's an overarching way to interpret? What is our hermeneutic for scripture? And covenant theology is really at the heart of that. And uh, for me, it gets as simple as how does God relate to his people? Well, first, who are his people? But then how does God relate to them? And God relates to his people through a condescension, which we've been pleased to uh, come to know by way of covenant. We read the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter seven, starts to speak about covenant theology in very basic terms. Uh, But at stake is how God relates to his people and what the future of that relationship is and how he mediates or how he organizes that relationship throughout all of history. It begins with a covenant of works in the garden. But uh, of course, with the fall into sin, now man can't uh, achieve salvation uh, or can't achieve that blessed future through his own works. But praise be to God that he established a second covenant, the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. But it's all about how uh, we as God's people are moving forward to that future of consummate, blessed, may I say it, eschatological rest uh, in and through him. I'm reminded as as you explain that, I thought, really, really directly and in a simple way that I think most people can can understand. One of the things that, that went through my mind was, um, you know, J.I. Packer, who, who wasn't a guy, I mean, J.I. Packer was clear, he was a conservative reform theologian, but, you know, J.I. Packer wasn't always spoiling for a fight. He wasn't out to, to write and say controversial things. However, you know, Packer wrote, you, you can't really understand the Bible apart from a proper understanding of the covenant. Yeah. He went further. He said, you can't really fully understand the gospel without a proper understanding of the covenant. So it makes it highly relevant, if you like, for Christians to understand even uh, the, the, the divine logic behind the gospel itself. And that's why we love covenant theology so much. Jim, you were going to say something. Yeah, thanks, Todd. I, so I went from being a Roman Catholic and right into Westminster Seminary. So I sort of skipped wow. that whole dispensational um, avenue that that many uh, brothers and sisters take, and so never I was never steeped in dispensationalism to be delivered from it, as it were. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thankful for that because it was I think it was it was helpful and healthy for me to to begin to understand covenant theology right off the bat because it did, and this has already been said, but I'll just say it again. It, it it's it is the biblical way to interpret the Bible, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible itself tells us how to interpret it. We don't go somewhere outside of scripture to find man's wisdom to come to the text with so that we can understand the Bible, but we go to the Bible in order that we might understand the Bible. And the and covenant theology is a hermeneutical 
architectonic principle that really gives us an overarching approach to scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And that's, for me, that's what really drew me to covenant theology is the way in which there is, in fact, this grand theme that runs like a golden thread throughout the entirety of scripture that holds it together to use uh, more contemporary language, a meta narrative that binds together the entirety of the canon of scripture. And that helps us to understand it better in order that we might walk with our Lord more faithfully. Yeah. Um, and Carl, you can jump in on this too. One, one of the questions that's kind of go, goes through my mind as I, as I hear this is, is um, how, how do you respond to those who say that, you know, covenant theology, uh, you know, was kind of born in the Protestant Reformation in the, in the 16th century, and especially in the, you know, with the, with the scholastics a generation later. Um, obviously, we don't believe that, but how, how, how would you respond to that? Because I, I hear that. I'm, I assume we've all heard that, that real, you really don't really have covenant theology until you know, kind of the scholastics uh, uh, after the after the original reformers. What do you say to that objection? Well, certainly the theology developed through time. We, yep. in no way, shape, or form, want to deny the the progress of uh, yeah. of God's people and their understanding of God's teaching in Scripture. And you know, we want to be faithful and and good students of historical theology. See, Carl, you taught me well. I'm uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not opposed to this. I'm not a biblical versus uh, historical or versus systematic guy. I think they all contribute in their own particular way. So, that being said, though, we, I you know we can merely just look at the Bible as well and see that and ask the question of how does the Bible structure itself. And then start to look at how the church has received this teaching and developed upon it. But one place I would go to just to begin, not even Genesis 1, of course, that's important, Genesis 2, but a place like Romans chapter 5. And just to think about where Paul is teaching about Adam and Christ, the second and the last Adam. And you can also look at passages uh, in other portions of Paul, for, us, uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, which makes a similar comparison. And then start to ask questions about this. What does this mean? Uh, that we have two public people or two representative heads and their actions stand for all whom they represent. And you can start to look at passages, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, 29 in particular, that uh, if you have the same faith as Abraham, then you're Abraham's offspring. Romans chapter 4, just preceding what Paul had said about Adam and Christ, talks about salvation through Abraham. It's by the same faith as Abraham. There are many passages that are not just throwaway statements, but they're programmatic passages mm -hmm. in which the Bible is teaching us how we are to read and understand it and what God is doing from beginning to end. But most of all, I'd, I would even look at the Bible as a whole, and we see something like the tree of life in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. But then we see the tree of life reappear in Revelation 2 and 22. Why is that? Well, there's a, there's a way in which God is enacting and, and accomplishing the same plan he has had for his people from beginning to end. And ultimately, it's through Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, that we, uh, that we arrived where we were originally intended and where we were created to, to go to that blessed future that we have in Christ, consummate glory with the triune God and the new heavens and the new earth. That was promised to Adam. He failed. But praise be to God, we have a second and a last Adam, and we don't need another <laughs> right, right. <laughs> who brings us by grace now 
to the very same place that that was originally offered to Adam. So there's a lot of of church history involved here between you know the second century all the way up to the 16th you know century, and there are covenant theologies and um, and developments of this. It's not like it disappeared for 1500 right. years and then all of a sudden. You know, the federal theologians discovered it and started to build some superstructure as some extrinsicist, you know, imposition upon the Bible. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for the sake of time and efficiency, um, maybe we'll leave, at least I will leave that to the, or the, the patristic scholars and the, uh, the medieval scholars for the time being. Yeah, I would uh, note uh, the role of Irenaeus. You know, that would be if I was wanting to mount a historical case for federal theology, certainly you can't find an elaborate covenant theology in Irenaeus, but the kind of principles you're pointing to there, uh, Camden, the the Adam-Christ parallel, the the recapitulation in Christ of Old Testament history, it's there in, in Irenaeus, who, of course, is responding to the Gnostics, and he's the great uh, theologian of unity, unity of the church and unity of the Bible. And I, I, I I was teaching him just last week in the Doctrine of God class, and I find Irenaeus to be very much, uh, to be one of the early church theologians that is very conducive, I think, to those of us committed to to later federal theology. So moving in a practical direction, I mean, you're both pastors, you're both preachers, you both uh, counsel people one-on-one, teach in small groups, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what difference does covenant theology make in a pastoral setting? Many of our listeners may be committed to covenant theology, but probably listen, for example, to John MacArthur's sermons online and would very much appreciate a lot of what uh, Dr. MacArthur has to say. But where would you say covenant theology makes a distinctive pastoral or homiletic contribution? Uh, obviously, Dr. MacArthur is not a covenant theologian in the sense that that you guys are. Uh, So where would you say, yeah, we appreciate somebody like Dr. MacArthur, but covenant theology actually offers a richer, deeper, or more helpful take on the practical practical aspects of Christian ministry? Yeah, I think you put your finger on it, Carl, when you were talking about homiletics particularly. Uh, when when you understand what the text is saying as a preacher, that's the first step to producing a good sermon. It's not the only step. So much more needs to be said and done. Uh, but I think that's the first step. You can't not understand the text properly uh, and then get a good sermon out of it. Now, you may understand it properly and still preach a terrible sermon, but you have to at least have understanding of the text, proper understanding of the text. Secondly, uh, the Christ-centeredness of of covenant theology is so very important. If we understand, in fact, that the entirety of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ, then every sermon, um, we're compelled for every sermon, in fact, to be about Christ. Um, And so that way, no matter what text you're preaching on, not in a forced way, we're not sort of looking for Christ where he's not explicitly or, or even redemptive historically um, or in a way that's uh, typological. Uh, we're not doing it in a forced way, but in a way that is natural with the text. When we preach Christ, we could be and committed to preaching Christ. We could be sure that every sermon has the gospel in it so that when you're preaching in the church at the same time, you're doing two things at the same time. First of all, you're building up the faith of believers 
but you're also evangelizing unbelievers and you're evangelizing believers because Mm -hmm. believers need the gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We as believers need the gospel perhaps more than anyone else. Um, so we we preach the gospel always from our pulpits if, in fact, we're committed to covenant theology and its relationship to preaching. Lastly, I'll just say this. Um, there's, there's the hope of glory. Uh, we're living in a day and an age when believers are quite disturbed by what they're seeing around them, understandably so. What do you do in, a mit- in the midst of a culture that is absolutely crumbling all around you and that is opposing everything that we hold near and dear. And one of the things that we can assure God's people of with our understanding of covenant theology is that God has ordained a final destination, a place, uh, the place of his Sabbath rest. And when he brings us to that place, he will bring with himself as he comes at the second coming to bring judgment upon the earth both righteous vengeance, but also at the same time, the salvation of his people, delivering them from all of their and his enemies. And so I think that that's a great word of comfort that we can uh, share with the people of God to say to them, look, no need to fret. God is in control of all this, and he has a plan for your ultimate good and for justice to prevail at the end. I think also along those lines, uh, there are more specific pastoral questions and pastoral application uh, between dispensationalism and covenant theology, for example. Like, there are many things, I agree entirely with what you're saying, Jim, but also so would a dispensationalist on some of those points who wouldn't deny them. But our, our theology and even our, our specific approach to, to scripture and to the Bible, our hermeneutic, has drastic pastoral and practical implications. None of us would deny that. But I struggled for years when I was becoming more and more reformed, but I was in a Calvinistic Baptist church, but one that held to uh, dispensational uh, theology. They were Calvinists. It was very much masters, you know, students and people influenced by the, by, uh, the master seminary. I'm so thankful for these faithful brothers. They taught me how to read the Bible. They preached faithfully. But what they missed is this notion about the promise that God has given to us is not a return to the garden, but neither is it merely the promise of an earthly type of existence, even like a little bit better of, uh, of an earthly existence, that the eternal rest to which we look is not real estate in the Middle East as we understand it now, but a, a, a glorified existence, a fully consummate existence within the highest heavens where Christ now is ministering on our behalf. In the mm-hmm. presence of God as our faithful and high final priest, where the highest heavens come to descend and transform entirely this earthly existence so that we will dwell with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. More so than that, though, our union with Christ has everything to do with who we are even now, that we are being sanctified. We are being brought into that rest. We are being prepared for it. And God will finish that work, which he began, Philippians 1.6. But even now, we find our identity in Christ. And and Carl, as you've written so excellently in your recent book, and as you've discussed a lot of times on episodes of this program, Christian identity is all at the forefront right now. It's so significant and important that we have to understand who we are in Christ as new creations. But also within us, we see the beginnings of the new creation 
as a result of the Spirit's work in our lives. And this is one big point of practical import for us regarding dispensational theology. Because I struggled in that dispensational church because I, as a Gentile, no matter what I did, no matter however, what would ever happen in my life, the highest I could ever hope for was being somewhat of a second-class mm-hmm. citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Because I'm a Gentile, I did not have the genetics of Abraham. And as a result, I could enter into heaven. I could enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Praise be to God. But it wouldn't be the same as if I happened to descend from Abraham as a Jew. And the Bible, I believe, is very clear to eliminate such thoughts that we now are incorporated into Christ. As if we look at uh, Romans 11, for example, unnatural branches are grafted into the olive tree. The natural branches can be cut off if they don't have faith. But if they come to have faith, they can be grafted back in. But let's look at the big picture. Brothers, how many olive trees are in this example? (laughs) There's only one olive tree. And it's the people of God. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. And Jesus himself said, I can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. And um, our genetics, our physical genetics, are not what's at stake here and what are of ultimate import. So that in Christ, we are one new man in him. The dividing wall has been torn down. And there are no distinctions, whether you're white or black or rich or poor or, you know, English or American, (laughs) you are one in Jesus Christ. And I can't think of much else that has more practical import, especially for what ails the American church right now and the European church than that, our Mm -hmm. identity in Jesus Christ. Mm You know, one of the things I found as a pastor that covenant theology has given me practically, and and I've had to do this a number of times, as I'm sure you guys have as well, is when I sit with um, parents whose infant has died. Um, and in many of those cases, they ask and are wondering what kind of assurance they can have about the destiny of their infant uh, who died. And I think that covenant theology is far better positioned to give a good and encouraging answer to that question than dispensationalism ever could. Um, My dispensationalist brothers would appeal to things like, well, I can't imagine God doing this or that or, or that kind of thing. Whereas covenant theology can actually appeal to the promises of God. We can go to places like Jesus's attitude towards children. We can go to Peter's sermon in uh, at, at Pentecost, the promises for you and your offspring. I and mean, we can go through the whole Old Testament in how the children of believers, the infants of believers were treated and were to be thought of by the community as covenant insiders. Now, again, they would become culpable and accountable um, for the choices they would make in faith or lack of faith. Um, but from the very, from their birth, they are counted as covenant insiders. And I know that there's some divergence of opinion, even within the reformed community about what we can and can't say about the destiny of infants. I, I, I tend to side with, with those in the reformed tradition who say that we, that a pastor can look at the parents of, of a lost infant um, and with, with a great deal of comfort, uh, give them the words of, of Peter at Pentecost, give, give them the words of David about his lost infant. And, and the reunion that he looked forward to coming to. Again, covenant theology can give you that in a way that dispensationalism can't. And back to your point, Jim, the reason why covenant 
theology can do that is because covenant is the Bible way of reading the Bible. It's the biblical way of doing biblical theology. And I would say it's the biblical way of, of, of preaching as you both have commented on. I mean, it's, it's covenant theology that says Jesus is organically in the text from start to finish. Uh, we, we don't read him into it. He's organically there. And it's covenant theology that gives you the robust understanding to, to say that. And um, I think that's real, that's real helpful. Hey guys, just give me, give our audience um, just a quick word on the conference that's coming up. Just the details and, and what's going to be happening and why they need to be there. I think it's going to be a great time. Um, so we're going to be at Mission OPC in St. Paul, and there are going to be, I believe, four messages. Uh, it's going to start on Friday, November 5th, and Camden's going to talk about the Tree of Life on Friday evening. And then Saturday morning, Camden's going to get back up and talk about uh, the, the idea of, of God's people in a place. So people in place um, and the way in which that's renewed in the covenant of grace. And then I'm going to get up uh, later on that morning and talk about Christ as overcomer, talk about his temptations in, uh, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And then we're going to talk about, uh, finally, the last message will be mine. And we're going to talk about the idea of entering into God's promised place uh, uh, as a heavenly existence forever from Hebrews chapter 11. So that's that's a very brief outline as to yeah. what the conference is going to look like, but it's going to be two good days, I think, of some packed theology. Sounds great. Sounds great. Um, I would encourage our listeners, and we'll provide a link um, on this program's connection, um, to check out Reformed Forum uh, in general. First of all, it's just a great site. They always have they always provide really excellent content, um, and then and not only in the podcast, but in curricula that they are producing and various things that they're publishing. Uh, they, you guys seem to be just doing more and more all the time, which is, which is encouraging. And so reform forum is one of those solid sources you can go to and know that you're going to get really good, um, material. And then we'll provide a link for this conference as well. If you're able to attend that, the, the, again, the content uh, promises to be excellent. We also would encourage you again, to come to our website, mortificationofspin.org and, uh, uh, register to win a copy of Lane Tipton's, uh, new book. Uh, called Foundations of Covenant Theology. Lane has been a guest here on this program, and he does a lot of work with Reformed Forum as well. Lane is an excellent communicator, a passionate teacher, great preacher. Um, I've I've sat under his preaching several different occasions, um, and and this guy kind of you just light him on fire, and that's how he lectures and preaches. And um, he he has a great great insight into covenant theology in his book. Is really helpful. So, if you want a really good explanation and primer on covenant theology, uh, Lane's book, uh, Foundations of Covenant Theology, be great for you. Go to our website to enter uh, to win a copy of that. Um, and then one other word: we are going to change the schedule of Mortification of Spin. Uh, you have been spoiled for all these many years of getting to listen to Carl and I every Wednesday, and and we feel like that we have not gotten back from you the, 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 the sort of gratitude that we deserve. So we're going to punish you a little bit and go to every other week. Um, in actuality, it's, uh, it, it's just, it, it has to do with scheduling and, and that sort of thing. And to, to ensure that we continue to um, provide you with content that's worth listening to, like today's program, uh, it will help us to go to an every other week schedule. Um, so that'll be starting uh, soon, every other week, and you can bet 
that if you've loved mortification of spin so far, just wait until you hear it every other week. Carl is going to be lit. Um, uh, you, you, you just, you've never heard this guy when he, when he actually gets a good night's sleep. And so it's, it's going to be good. Right, Carl. I'm going to be getting in touch with my inner lane Tipton. <laughs> as, uh, Man, like that wind up, you know, energizer bunny, you know, he, you just wind him up and he's just, you may have go, noticed go, go. that you never see lane and I in the same room at the same time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very peculiar. Very peculiar. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Tipton. That's the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say uh, thank you to uh, Camden Ducey and uh, Jim Cassidy for joining us today, guys. Appreciate you being on the program. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Ab- absolutely. Hope that we did not ruin your reputation. A great discussion. We love to talk about theology. We love to talk about the beauty and the helpfulness of covenant theology, and we're glad you were here with us. Well, listen to our listeners. Great being with you today, and we will look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. Okay. Good day and welcome to our single. I'm Bob McKenzie, and this is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? Beauty, eh? Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay. okay, everyone, this record was my idea. Get out! It was. You're lying. On take off. Take off! Through the great white door. Take off! It's a beauty way to go. Take off! Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. What did you do, Carl? (laughs) Microphone was switched off, even though the light is on. Uh, I wish they'd get that problem fixed, that off switch. (laughs) High, high, highly technical problems. There's a a reason why I told the dean this morning, no, I can't teach asynchronously online over Christmas. (laughs) So, you know, you know, when when Nayara suggested that maybe you just had it turned off, you know, I immediately, oh, no. That wouldn't be it. Uh, hey, just, I'm, I'm English, and when we do these things, it's kind of quaint, you know. <laughs> Discover the exciting new Blessings of the Faith series from PNR Publishing, featuring Jason Halopoulos on covenantal baptism, David Strain on expository preaching, and Guy Richard on persistent prayer. Three of the most trusted and distinguished voices of the faith answer your questions about these important Reformed church practices in a way that every layperson will understand. The new Blessings of the Faith series will be available September 22nd from PNR Publishing, bringing you books that promote biblical understanding and godly living, as summarized in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. Visit prpbooks.com to learn more. prpbooks.com